Welcome to the Com Surgery Podcast Edition, hosted by Christine Townsend. All right. Well, welcome everybody. Thank you so much. It is the PIO Toolkit Com Surgery. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Christine Townsend, founder of PIO Toolkit, and now author of the book The Frontline Communicator. So, thank you to those who have already bought that book. Um, it's very exciting for me to hear about your thoughts on that. As long as they're good. Um, now, I know we have a lot of people from all over the country. In fact, I believe we have someone coming in from Belgium, um, Jordan, Canada, the UK. So, this is truly an international edition, and that's what I'm really, really excited about. Fantastic fantastic panel and um, I'm going to ask everyone to get started and introduce themselves so we can get these uh, questions going. So uh, Catherine, who are you, uh, what do you do and where in the world are you? Uh, thanks Christine. So my apologies to everyone that uh, my camera is not on like anything in life. Uh, things don't always go smoothly so I'm having some technical co uh, problems with my camera this morning but um but a little bit about myself, and, and thank you, Christine and Tom, for uh, inviting uh, me to participate in this uh, this event. So my name is Catherine Ho, and uh, I am the uh, Regional Director for the Office of Foreign Missions, or what we call OFM for short. So OFM is the bear within the State Department that works with all the foreign missions and all the foreign diplomats that are stationed in the United States. Everything we do is based on Vienna conventions and international agreements. Um, so when I say uh, foreign missions, um, what I mean is embassies, consulates, trade offices, anything with a taint of foreign government, um, OFM is involved. So with OFM, obviously, um, our headquarter bureau is uh, within uh, our, our headquarters is in Washington, D.C., but outside of Washington, D.C., we have six regional offices that are spread out. Um, and um, those locations where we have regional offices are where you see uh, large hubs of foreign missions. So I am particularly stationed in Houston. I'm the uh, regional director for the Houston region. So um, each of the regional directors, we are all foreign service officers, meaning that we are all um, members, Ameri uh, officially American diplomats in the American Foreign Service. Um, instead, uh, in my career, instead of uh, being stationed overseas, working in our embassies and concerts overseas, I just happen to be stationed domestically here. Um, so most of my career, obviously, have been working overseas in the Middle East, Asia, Europe, you name it. I probably have been there and I probably have a stamp somewhere in my passport there. Um, so a little bit about uh, further about the regional offices and how, you know, I uh, got involved with Tom's Lane and, and all this where we are. Um, so with the regional offices, um, you know, we work again with all the foreign diplomats and all foreign missions. And so um, where um, in particular in the Houston region, um, we cover eight states in total. Um, so in our eight state region includes uh, Texas and all the surrounding area all the way up to Colorado. And in our jurisdiction, we have um, we work with over 354 missions and over 3,100 foreign mission members. So that's a lot. Um, so where I have intersected uh, uh, with Tom and Bear County was um, the incident with the, uh, the unfortunate incident with the semi truck 
San Antonio, and uh, we kind of crossed path there, Tom, but I'm glad we were able to con connect. But um, basically what I'm here, and I'll, I'll defer a lot to my DS colleague and Carrie on um, the nuts and bolts of the clearance process from the media standpoint, we're working for media. But where the OFM will likely intersect um, with all of you is, um, is we are basically the ground floor uh, POC that connects local authorities with the closest four missions that uh, that will be involved or could be the source uh, resource channel to uh, to their home country uh, regarding that particular incident you're dealing with. So I'm going to stop there um, and uh, pass it over to uh, other people and uh, have a drink of water. Thank you, Catherine. We're so glad to have you here. And um, yes, completely international feel because um, as people know, I'm from the UK. Tom's from. Germany originally, um, but we will um, ask Anne to um, introduce herself. I must say, actually, sorry to um, pause right there. Um, it may look strange that Tom and I have the same backgrounds. We are actually in the same room in San Antonio in a real live grown up studio, which is incredibly exciting. Um, so we may may sound like we have a perfect tongue. Um, but however, let me um, ask Anne, would you uh, introduce yourself? So tell us what, who you are, where you are. So I know it says Ann Carey, but my name is actually Nicole Diener, and I am the Director of Public Affairs for the Diplomatic Security Service. And I'm right now here in Washington, D.C., actually right across the river in what we call Roslyn. And uh, the Diplomatic Security Service is basically the law enforcement and security arm of the U.S. Department of State. So our mission is to create a safe and secure environment and to allow for U.S. diplomacy to be conducted worldwide. So with that, there's six basic functions. I'm not going to bore everybody too much, but we secure facilities, personnel, and information in all of our locations around the world, which is in 270 different places and 170 different countries. We also have field offices here, 33 within the United States. I'll talk a little bit about that later. Uh, we provide all call, on-call uh, technical and tactical security support and respond during international crises and disasters. We conduct transnational criminal investigations. We protect the Secretary of State, the U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, and any foreign dignitaries that come into the United States at the foreign minister level or below. That's under our purview as well, and we are responsible for their safety and security. And lastly, uh, we manage programs uh, that help deter technical and cyber espionage. So what is my job? My job is to communicate all that, and whether it's like, taking in questions from the press and rapid fire if something goes wrong involving U.S. diplomats or, again, foreign dignitaries that come to the United States. Uh, it's being proactive and pitching stories so that people in the United States and around the world understand what our role is and understand the value of it and the importance of it. Uh, we educate audiences through social media and other ways, uh, public events, of course, just like many of you, lots of hats, internal communications, uh, and again, I think, which is most interesting for you, we do manage communications for crisis situations like large scale events, the United Nations General Assembly that just happened um, or anything that has foreign diplomats again coming into the United States. I can tell you and I'll, uh, today, for example, I'm dealing with is a good snapshot. I have a, a cyber intrusion that got leaked out by the hell. So I had to respond to that. I had, um, we're planning for the up, 
upcoming Asia-Pacific economic um, cooperation meetings that are coming up in San Francisco. So it's planning for that. What happens if there's a protest? What happens if something goes wrong? Uh, we are you know, dealing with our partners on those issues. And then we also had an active shooter drill today in our headquarters building. And we were engaged with our partners and trying to plan for that and doing mock scenarios like, if it really happens, who's going to handle what? And then we evaluate at the end. And we're, we're working with the Metropolitan Police Department, Department of Homeland Security, and of course, all of our colleagues within the State Department and the interagency. So that's just today. But I'm excited to engage with all of you. I've been doing this kind of work for close to three decades now. I'm aging myself, but uh, I love it. I wouldn't do anything else. And I'm excited to engage with you. Well, thank you, Nicole. And my apologies for getting I'm typical, but, uh, all things to all people at the moment. I'll, I'll to <laughs> and of course, thank you so much for sparing the time, considering all you've got going on. Uh, really, really appreciate it. So we, we will come back to you shortly. Um, now, Tom, as he's in the same room as me, we might have a few uh, audio snafus, but if I'm going to go on to mute, you're going to come off mute. Is this, uh, that's right. And uh, I'm going to ask Tom to uh, introduce himself. Uh, where? Well, we know where you are. What do you do? Tell us about yourself, Tom. Sure. Thank you, thank you Christine. Um, so uh, I am I'm based here out of San Antonio, and I'm uh, a public information officer for Bear County. Uh, Bear County is the the county around surrounding uh, San Antonio, and to give folks an idea, it's uh, roughly two million people here in San Antonio, so it's the seventh largest city, and uh, with that comes a lot of visibility uh, inside the office. We have uh, we have divvied the workload up so that I cover certain agencies or departments within the county. That is the uh, the fire marshal's office, the office of emergency management, and the office of criminal justice. With with all the different sections that they have underneath uh, all of them. So that keeps me pretty busy. If someone uh, has the idea that I may not be busy enough, then uh, usually I uh, take care of everything else that uh, that that comes along and and takes care of it. Um, I uh, uh, before this I uh, uh, worked for the Department of Defense as a public affairs specialist. I uh, was in Oregon with the state of Oregon for the Department of Human Services and started PIOing about thirteen odd years ago. Uh, working for the Pima County Sheriff's Department in Arizona, um, and uh, yeah, Catherine already mentioned it. So we had a we had a touch point, and uh, that was during the Quintana Road uh, incident here, where 53 migrants uh, perished in the uh, the tractor trailer. And uh, what had happened there, or what what was what was interesting? The question is, how do I get in 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 touch with an event like that? And part of our Office of Criminal uh, justice is the medical examiner, and I'm the spokesperson for the medical examiner. So that's that's how that came around because it ended up we were the only ones who could say anything because everything else was investigation. Nothing can be released, so everybody came to us. Great, I see. So, um, I mean, you've obviously got so many areas. <laughs> we'll touch upon those, and we we'll touch upon the incident that kind of got us talking around around this. And um, so, a uh, bit of background for those who don't know, I used to be a, a tabloid journalist in the UK before I became um, a police comms person. So we've kind of got a really good uh, mixture of people here who can help you with any of those challenges you find around dealing with international media. Um, and we know it's uh, an ever-increasing problem because the, uh, well, obviously, social media, internet, 24-7, um, 
um, news cycle, um, there's not a story, particularly when you they get on the wires, it, as soon as it hits um, the wires, it will get to Europe, uh, Australia um, within seconds. So um, let's see what we can do about that, um, mitigating against that. And, and on that, um, Nicole, I'd like to sort of start with you. One of the questions we've had is um, sort of how do you prepare? Um, so many people prepare their, their crisis comes or their, their um, strategies um, for probably more local or domestic. But how do you prepare for something that could have international impact? Well, I think for, for us in the State Department, it's sort of natural to what we do because, again, we're very internationally focused. But I would say, again, going back to what you just talked about, Preparing, preparing for these situations is everything um, and making sure that you're dealing with all the right players ahead of time. You know who your contacts are. I know who I need to pick up the phone if something happens, whether it's my colleagues who deal, say something happens. We'll talk about APAC. Okay. We're talking about Asia Pacific Economic um, cooperation meetings that are going to happen. So I'm already, we're already reaching out to people. We know who's going to have to be responsible for saying what. My colleagues uh, who handle East Asia will come up with policy points. I handle if something goes wrong, say there's a protest. Um, what are we going to say right away until we know what the full picture is? Uh, making sure, again, we have contacts within the San Francisco Police Department and other law enforcement partners. Pardon me. Trying to make sure you have thinking through worst case scenarios on every every single scenario you can think of. Um and what would you say right out of the box? So knowing that you have a library of those or things that you can say so you can control that message right away. What's the strategy going to be? Who's handling what pieces? And knowing and being ready to go. Again, a lot of times it takes, there's rumors, there's things that happen. You're going to get with social media now, you have people throwing things out on social media. It might not be accurate information, usually isn't. So be able to control that message to the best of your ability with even short sound bites until you get that full picture. Uh, and then you can work with your partners to develop the the storyline. Absolutely. A woman after my own coming up with every possible catastrophe that could happen. It's one of my favorite hobbies. Um, and, and on that, actually, do you find that there's a, and this is a question from me because I'm curious, um, there are patterns to where there's more likely to be international media so uh, attention. So, for example, I would imagine somewhere like maybe Florida where you get a lot of British tourists or, you know, New York or LA because you get, you know, Hollywood stars and what have What is there a pattern? Is there a time that we could possibly? Well, that's a that's a very interesting question. Um, from my lens, again, it's it's places where I know there's large concentrations of diplomats. Um, you know where OFM is located, for example, uh, or knowing like where there's going to be a large scale event. We just came off of the UN General Assembly, so again, we were in contact with all of our partners up there, prepared for whatever crises comes in. But I think that's that's an interesting question, um, and I don't necessarily follow other things that are going on. I'm more looking at the diplomatic side of things. But again, looking at large scale events, looking at where there's high concentrations of diplomats uh, in major cities like Houston, New York, here, obviously, uh, those type Miami, Chicago, Los Angeles, you know, Seattle, all these places where again, there's more diplomatic interactions going on. Fascinating. And um, sorry, so we've had a note that the audio is low for us so we may if you can't hear us um we will get closer without sounding intimidating apologies for that um thank you um nicole um i'm 
want to move, um, I will come to you, Catherine, um, because I know that we're going to contextualise this, but um, Tom, I want to know why you think, or if we should, be treating international media differently to uh, US or domestic media, and why? Yeah, that's a, it's a very good question, uh, especially they all seem the same, right? Uh, so it doesn't initially may not uh, come across as why should I be any, any different with them? But there's, there's a couple of things that uh, I have learned in, in these types of incidents. Um, and it starts with uh, the question when I listen to Nicole, she has, you know, she has the people that, that she knows and it's the, typically I would assume it's the correspondence for the different uh, outlets that, uh, that show up. The situations that uh, I had to deal with were typically the first who show up are freelancers. So they're actually U.S. folks that uh, show up at these events, but they represent a foreign outlet. Uh, then we have uh, those who are the national correspondents that uh, or foreign correspondents that show up at incidents, and then there's the traveling journalists. So when somebody gets assigned from their home country, and you got to go over there and, and cover this. So that's three different people. Their background is is widely different. Different. Um, the freelancer is probably the easiest because he's a person from here. He has the cultural context, and that is something that the other two may not necessarily have, or to varying degrees. Uh, the correspondent is a little more familiar with it. Um, with whatever's going on in the U.S. because they they live here, um, the traveling journalists are are the ones that are tricky um, because they they may speak the language. Um, most of them will speak English. Uh, that doesn't mean that they understand exactly what we're saying. Uh, that is because of again cultural context or words are being used differently. So I typically have tried to follow up with them. Afterwards, just pick them out and said, so if, if there's anybody from the foreign media who uh, has some has some questions afterwards, I'll make myself available. And then I walk them through certain certain things to make sure this really comes across right and they actually know what we're saying and they understand the context. And do you find that there's a quite clear difference? Um, I mean, obviously the British tabloids... Um, we all have our opinions on them, but they're, they're, do you see a stark difference between each country and their media outlets and, and how they approach stories? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Don't hold back. I won't defend um, So, so um, the, I, I mean, I can only speak from my own background, right? So the, I've experienced folks from, uh, from Germany, for example, uh, to be, much more holding back and being very correct and not being as as forceful when they pursue a story. Uh, however, that was uh, not necessarily the case, for example, with British journalists or US journalists, for that matter. Um, it was a very unpleasant experience that I had uh, here where journalists would, uh, or reporters who were assigned to this story, were taking approaches that uh, I found ethically questionable. Um, and um, who just found their ways to the to the information or what they thought was the information uh, and then ran with it. So um, that was something where I would have always expected a U.S. reporter 
to simply call or ask us or say, can can we can you make somebody available? And they won't. They find it somewhere else. And that may have to do with the background in their countries, what they're what they're used to from their government. Yes. Yeah, that's ethics is a really good point and probably a big can of worms, but I would like to touch come back to that a bit later. And I'm, I just want to come to Catherine on on kind of that point. I mean, um you if we find someone who is in a situation where they are overwhelmed uh with international media inquiries and it, it does seem it does seem or feel like it gets very big very quickly um how can the sort of regional offices help assist with this so you know OFM um plays a, a unique role um so we have you know our own subject matter um that we handle but because of the fact that basically um, we are one of the few bureaus that has regional presence spread throughout the United States. Uh, by default, we become, uh, we wear the uh, big state hat per se, right? Um, so, um, you know, I get inquiries all the time from different local offices, authorities, you name it, uh, when they are asking questions and uh, concerning um, uh, you know, engagement with the State Department. And in some ways, um, you know, the regional office then becomes sort of the entry point or coordination point um, for uh, connecting local offices, local authorities to uh, to the State Department or what I call big state back in Washington, D.C. So, uh, so, you know, so I want to emphasize that um, what Nicole said earlier, you know, some events, you know, you can plan ahead uh, and you should plan ahead, but then sometimes by the nature of the event, um, it becomes reactionary, right? Um, you can't really like this, the San Antonio uh, 53 migrant death. Uh, and so your best bet is just to know um, who your point of contact locally is. And that's where um, the regional office for OFM will be helpful for you. Because for us, um, when we get inquiries of, um, you know, incidents that involve foreign national death um, or anything that impacts foreign nationals, oftentimes, um, so I'll, I'll give you a perfect example, the San Antonio event um, with the uh, 53 migrant death. Um, what happened was Bear County um, reached out to my office <clears throat> And their medical examiner um, provided the information of the foreign nationals that were impacted. And I immediately reached out to the heads of missions, the, uh, the consulates that are located um, in Houston and San Antonio, so that they t their team can step in and um, play the coordination point between uh, their foreign government, their their um, their home country, and then also with local authorities as far as handling um those that were injured and and impacted by the event and then where we come in with local law enforcement is that if there is um you know inquiries media inquiries um then what we what we usually do is um you know i go ahead and i i would then connect them to first our uh, our bureau public affairs officer so that you know every pretty much every um department, uh, every bureau within the State Department have their own public affairs officer, public information officer, um, who then connects to, um, you know, bigger, uh, you know, the leadership that handles the media machine back in, in for the State Department. So, um, you know, 
DS, we work hand in glove with diplomatic security and a lot of things. Um, and so DS is a, especially when incidents that involve uh, local law enforcement issues and so forth. Um, oftentimes, I will I will link in um, and CC my uh, diplomatic security um, special agents or the the team here so that they know where to step in and where to assist. Um, so a lot of times, you know, you, you know, if you guys are not familiar and I know Tom is very familiar with this, you know, there's a whole bureaucracy, you know, there's a whole media machine back in the state department, how we, we handle press inquiries and so forth, uh, and how we respond to it pro appropriately. Um, I guess for, for the big takeaway from my end is that I am, I'll be honest with you, I am not a media specialist. I am not, PR is not my, uh, my specialty, uh, but, um, but where uh, we come into play on, on this from an OFM regional office perspective and as a resource for you all and what you do is that when you do have these incidents that arise on the ground floor and you feel like there is a, a potential for international media attentions and so forth, um, you're always welcome to reach out to the closest OFM regional offices because, um, you know, we have a wide reach back in Washington, D.C. with the bigger uh, media machine, uh, the specialists like Nicole, uh, and also our own respective bureaus. Uh, and then we also have, um, uh, we have access to the four missions that are locally in, in that locality that could probably be a resource as far as flooding out data um, and, uh, and fact-checking certain information. So in many ways, I guess uh, I want, what I want to say is uh, OFM regional office, they, they kind of serve um, as a coordination point for all things related. If there's, there's um, you know, an incident that has that international media flavor to it. We're not the subject matter expert and neither would we ever, we defer to the experts to do that. But where we are is that we will try to, as much as we can to facilitate, to connect all the right people from the US side and the foreign, uh, foreign government side so that that whatever is the outcome there's enough coordination there that so that the the news media and 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 can you know get the the new the facts and and the stories correct that's fantastic thank you catherine and and in terms of like practical um steps is there a threshold and maybe nicole also can chip in on this is there actually a threshold where it's it can be managed um locally to where it tips into yes we need your help what would trigger that level of getting you involved or is it just any international attention you can come straight to you Catherine do you want to go first no I'll defer to you I think she was uh leaning you're the expert here so I I would say if there's you know um gosh I, I don't necessarily think a threshold right because every situation is different but I'd say it can be anything from and Catherine, correct me if I'm wrong, a natural disaster where we know a lot of foreign nationals have been affected uh, and they need help. They've got questions about trying to get to the United States, visas and things like that. Uh, you know, there's always a broad range of things, family members trying to connect. They can't get in touch with people. Um, again, a foreign diplomat maybe in the area, there's something happens there. That's definitely something where OFM should be notified. And I would then come into play as well, working with my colleagues. Um, any kind of uh, incident 
Uh, we've had a lot of incidents where it might be a foreign national has committed a very egregious crime. Um, and that's something where assistance is needed. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of different scenarios. So it's it's hard to say, you know, not, you kind of have to use your judgment, right? But if it's something you think that's going to garner significant, you know, international attention, it was definitely it'd be a good idea to think along those lines of of trying to get support from other entities. Okay. And thank you. I've just had a question coming from um, Diane and we'll get to Rotiva's um, shortly. Um, would this include an incident that involved a student who is a foreign national? I would say that's a really great question. And I've actually was in my former life, I've had a lot of different hats. I was a spokesperson at the U.S. to the United Nations, U.S. mission to the United Nations. I've worked in the big PA. I was also head of communications for educational and cultural affairs and dealt with this very issue a lot. Um, and when things would happen, again, there's an entire bureau in the State Department who handles the visas for these students. And a lot of times they might be funding the program that that student is in. Absolutely. If that's the case, I mean, I think there's that's an entire resource for you too. And we would want to coordinate messaging here at the State Department about that student because those are can be very, very high profile things that happen. We've had cases uh, of high school students being in bad situations that, you know, hit CNN, then it went, you know, CNN International, BBC, went all over the world like wildfire. We've had cases where the au pair program, say something happens, there's a lot of au pairs in the United States, and au pair, something happens in abuse situation or vice versa. Um, so absolutely, educational and cultural affairs at the State Department is a great resource, easily easy to Google. And they've got contact information there, but they should definitely be someone that should be notified when something, you know, or through bigger state, we can connect you. Fantastic. Thank you. And what I'll do after this is circulate. Um, once we have the recording, I'll circulate a list of resources so people can get in touch. Um, I, I want to go back to Tom. Um, and so I had a question regarding your last response around dealing with international media um, and how... I'm hoping I'm going to paraphrase this correctly. How is equity training or the equity lens applied with uh, consideration to the different needs of those different reporters? Because, yes, well, they all have different needs. They all have different um, probably expectations as well. How do you decide which one gets your attention? Because you can't give everyone your attention, as I know. Yes, that is uh, that is true. I mean, if the so, uh, I would have to say it, it will depend on the situation, right? Um, because if you have, for example, citizens from a particular country being involved, uh, yet there may be other international journalists there, then the ones who come from the particular country affected uh, would most certainly be the first ones to be uh, to be talked to and make sure they receive the information that they need to properly report uh, report back to their home countries. Uh, at the same time, something that uh, I kind of wanted to save this for last, but I'll say it because it's, it's relevant now, uh, is always remember your locals, right? Because your locals will always be there. When the whole circus leaves, the locals are still going to be there. Um, but as soon as we come to foreign outlets, then um, yeah, that's that's how I would uh, how I would approach it because we're typically not familiar with who they represent, so we don't know is this an important or a big outlet over there, or is this some some kind of small town newspaper, or and then who says that that's not just as important? Uh, so I would simply appeal at that point uh, to to the people, to the foreign journalists, just to engage with the PIO, say after after a press conference. Make, make yourself available and then sort it out uh, that way. 
So um, do you make any special um, accommodations? Because I know just to, conversely, the when I worked at the City of London Police, we'd had no local media. So I was only ever dealing with national and international and having ha- handled the Olympics and Margaret Thatcher's funeral, um, amongst many other na- international jobs, we got to the point where we were just translating everything um, because I didn't speak Japanese or... Um, Funnily enough, um, did you actually, um, perhaps actually, if we could take a step back and explain what you can explain about the scenario for those who want, aren't familiar with what happened in San Antonio, very briefly touch upon it and then explain how you handled um, that international attention and, as I say, the accommodations you would have made to make your job easier. Certainly. Um, so what uh, what happened is uh, last year in June, um, a... Uh, a, a tractor trailer was located here in San Antonio uh, that where they found that on board in the back uh, there were uh, a, a great number of people who were inside. There was no air conditioning in it. The temperatures here were extremely high. Um, and uh, upon further investigation, they found that there were a, a lot of people who had who had died inside that trailer. Others had survived, had uh, needed uh, immediately medical attention, were brought to local hospitals. Uh, I learned about the incident uh, in the uh, late in the evening, um, and uh, we immediately decided uh, to the next morning set up shop at the medical examiner's office directly next to the uh, chief's office, so that we would be right at the source of the information as it comes in. Um, so once the uh, once the media outlets were were there, it was clear for us there there were four or five different countries potentially involved. We had no idea at this point. We could just go with when when we have illegal border crossers that come here, where do they typically come from? Because they were all unidentified at that point. Uh, so it was clear to us that there would be a lot of Central American uh, news outlets that where this would be top of the news. Um, we're I was fortunate because uh, we have one of our county commissioners here, one of our local county politicians. Uh, she speaks fluent in Spanish, and she speaks uh, Spanish fluently, and uh, then came to a press conference that we had arranged for the next day. Once we said, okay, we have a first set of information where we can explain how we go about this. And the politicians were outraged, so they wanted they wanted a, a, an opportunity to, to speak about it and what they're going to do. Uh, so, but we did exactly as I just said. We afterwards we made ourselves available for the one-on-one interviews. The U.S. outlets were all fine; they just ran with it. Um, but the foreign outlets came to us and then said, "Okay, how how is this going to work? What are you going to do? What are the next steps? Who do we call? Where do we get our information?" Uh, and we provided all that in these in these smaller one-on-one type uh, situations. There was not necessarily a language barrier, fortunately, um, and I don't know how much of a of an issue that would be if you know it's a longer event and where you have a uh, a key set or core set of countries, then yes, it would be most useful to have your releases or information that goes out translated into their language because then we can assure that it's properly interpreted. Maybe not so much translated, but more interpreted. And can I ask how quickly international media got involved? Because I know that I first saw the story on BBC. I mean, that's yeah. by my default. Um, anyway, but that was pretty much straight away afterwards. So for you, when were you first aware of international media attention and then how long was it before um, Catherine and team got involved? So let me think back. Um, 
the they were really there the the next day. Uh, that was something I I figured that we it might go a little slower because we had uh, we have Univision and Telemundo who are here who address the Spanish speaking population and I figured you know it, it takes its course from there. But no, we already had, uh, if I recall correctly, two uh, reporters who were uh, there on that press conference day. And then it just rose every day. The number would get bigger. And um, you could also tell that the journalists that were coming in were a different caliber. So the questions that they had, there was way more background information that they were looking for. Uh, and uh, we, we were very limited in what we could talk about. Because I, I I needed to make sure that the investigation stays intact, and I'm not talking about anything that had to do with the investigative part. Uh, and we were quite frankly figuring it out as we went. Um, I found out, or I noticed that we had no no direct contact to, with OFM um, when I said I went back to law enforcement days, and I remember we all had a little card uh, with us that had a. Uh, kind of like a hotline. And Nicole, I don't know if that hotline still exists, if you know that it still exists. So if we would take someone into custody, a foreign national, uh, then we would have to notify that number with a State Department number. But everybody had that number. We would just tell our sergeant, I'm going to call those guys now. And uh, then steps could be taken from there and the Department of State was aware. In this case, there was no hotline. Uh, I didn't know about OFM. However, Two day, three days after the incident, we're sitting in a meeting with representatives from the different consulates that the medical examiner typically works with. So these were established relationships. However, one of the participants in that meeting uh, identified himself and said that uh, I am the Minister of Foreign Affairs for the uh, country of Guatemala. <laughs> no, nobody knew about it. And then, you know, of course, it dawned on us right away that we needed to make sure that Department of State needs to be aware because... I don't know what happened. That person leaves and says something uh, that uh, maybe is not accurate or was misunderstood. Then what do we do, right? So that's how that's how the involvement with uh, with Catherine came about. And so this is a resource that any PIO can use at any time um, and should be used because I know how hard it can be. You know how hard it can be when something like this happens. You you don't expect it to. And I will reiterate this. I say this all the time. If you ever say that would never happen here, it's going to happen there. Yeah. So always be mindful of that. If you don't think you're going to get an international incident, um, you will. And, um, you know, we had the incident in Texas with the synagogue, um, you know, kid, um, hostage situation involved a lot of um, British media and actually um i'm going to kind of pivot to a question that i get an awful lot that i'm hoping nicole can answer and possibly um tom as well in terms of media handling and um, one thing i hear all the time all the presentations i go to in every pio group is um the daily mail how do you handle the daily mail um and they always look at me <laughs> and that was the only newspaper i didn't write from write for i do have some standards they're there somewhere um nicole you've probably had your fair share of daily mail um, yeah. <laughs> Pearls of wisdom, please. Um, you know, all you can do is present the facts, right? I mean, and sometimes you have to make the decision, like, am I going to respond to this and push back? Or am I just going to be like, let it go, you know, unless there's some publications you have to scrutinize and think, do I contact the editor or just let it go? A lot of times you just have to let it go. 
all you can do is get the facts out. And then you just, sometimes you're going to have to deal with it. Um, and I think if you can educate people that you're working with that, Hey, you know, know about that publication so that you can inform them best so that they don't get all spun up. I mean, that's important too, uh, to put things into perspective. That's, that's always really important because you can't control everything. You got to put it into perspective. Absolutely. And I suppose it all comes down to the audience as well, because if that audience right. really doesn't matter to you or that incident at that time, is it worth dying in a ditch over to get um, something retracted or, you know, a rapid rebuttal? And um, I wonder what your kind of, what you, you talk about fact, just get the facts out of there. If something is factually in a, incorrect, do you always go after it and get them to correct it? As much as you can, I do. I do. I'm a firm believer in that. Um, again, sometimes you got to choose your battles and you got to prioritize. And if it's, hopefully it's not something that's uh, too far, but as soon as you can get on top of things, because in this day of social media and amplification that happens, it's 24 seven, it's like this. So as fast as you can get out there and try to correct the facts, uh, the better off you're going to be in the long run. Uh, because often things, again, it proliferates, as you all know, very, very quickly. Social media is an environment, you know, that we didn't have to deal with 15, 20 years ago. But now it's something where it's it's rapid fire all the time. And do you find that um, it's harder to deal with them if it's like down the wires in agencies or if it is outlets? Uh, you mean in terms of having to correct? Uh, yeah, so if you're maybe having to correct someone from like Reuters or AP, do you find that harder or, or easier than if it's like an out specific? Well, I, I think um, I've always had good success with that. And I think, again, if it's I'm fortunate because I'm in the situation where I have access to people who regularly cover the department. So they're going to take me seriously if I pick up the phone and have to correct something as opposed to someone that they're not as familiar with. Um, so again, that's where it's good to have contacts and things like that too, so that you can try to tap into groups like this one, tap into your resources, tap into your network. Uh, sometimes people know people and they can assist you to get in front of someone. Um, I'm a firm believer in that. And I've done it many, many, many times, uh, working in this town for again, a long time. Uh, you've established connections with the interagency community and I might be able to say, Hey, you know, ABC, who covers Homeland Security, got this wrong. It's not the Secret Service, it's diplomatic security, and they can help me make those connections. So again, like building up your networks and connecting with people is really going to assist you in those efforts. You make a good point, actually, because um, I think that geography makes a massive difference yeah. um, in terms of, you know, when I was based in London, I found it an awful lot easier to engage with journalists because they were right there. The BBC was right there. Uh, the studios next door in Westminster, no problem. I can run down there and just knock on the door. Whereas if you're in the middle of nowhere, and I imagine it's even harder when you're in sort of middle of a state, in, you know, in the middle of nowhere, um, actually getting access to those um, international outlets is going to be harder because making those relationships is not like just popping down to the bar and having chats off the record and what right. have you. But um, it's still, as you say, really, really important to make that network and, and really get to know your neighboring PIOs and I'm, I'm going to come to Tom on we mentioned about the the Daily Mail so I want your advice on, on that as well but also in terms of San Antonio rel relatively smaller um, than you know the likes of obviously Dallas, Houston you know um, other large cities do you feel 
that geography has, you know, been a challenge for this incident and, um, you know, or, or how do you create your networks? How do you get support when you need it? Right. So throughout my career, I always tried to uh, stay in touch with, with folks if I had ever had a touch point um, with foreign outlets uh, and then just ask them for help, uh, you know, even though they may no longer report for this area, but they would know somebody you could call. Uh, and this can hit home very quickly. Uh, to, to give you an example, uh, we, we were talking about uh, wrong information being out there. So uh, on day, uh, it was either day two or day three of the incident uh, here in, in San Antonio, we received all these inquiries coming from El Salvador. And um, as and they, they talked about specific numbers and then the numbers of overall victims was wrong. And so I started inquiring with the journalists. I said, where do you have this from? And we found out that apparently the foreign ministry of Mexico had given a press conference. And in that press conference, they had used incorrect information. That is what everybody was following up on. Uh, so that was, uh, that got tricky. Because who do you call in that case, right? So I, we we agreed in this meeting that we then had with the consular uh, folks, where I asked everybody, please make sure to tell your press representatives, your media representatives, that everybody just call us. This this is the clearing point. Only what's coming from here is the actual valid information. Uh, everything else I can't vouch for, and that miraculously that worked. So <laughs> I don't know, Nicole, if you if if you uh, you know if you have different uh, experience or if that is helpful. I found that very helpful because if the AP or the Reuters guys you spoke that uh, uh, spoke to that a minute ago, uh, they're fairly easy because they identify themselves quickly. You call them back. And because they're syndication, it, they know it spreads quickly and they need to correct it. So I never found it to be problematic with them to, to correct something. No, I agree. The wires are always really easy to work with. Yeah. And that's a, like a great a great resource if, as for me has always been the wires. Now we have social media too if you need to push information out to respond to something. But I think the right, if you want to get the story out there, and have it go quickly, that's going to be a great way to go. Associated Press, Reuters, Agence France Press, all the wire services, that's that's a great resource to get an international reach very quickly. Yeah. And we have um, a list of all of the um, association um, wires and um, agencies and PIO toolkit as well. So if you ever need anything like that as a, a quick reference point for you should be talking to, um, just uh, find that on our site or, or, or contact me. Um, so we've only got uh, 10 minutes. So um, any questions that you have, now's your chance um, that we can keep going on this. Um, and I'm just going to um, sort of jump to Catherine just off the back of what we were just talking about, you know, um, what kind of role would you play, um, Catherine, or your your team in terms of helping that um, unification of information and making sure that there is consistency? Do you would you help be that touch point for that so that um, it is consistent? Um, so for OFM, you know, we um, we would not necessarily um, be highly involved in. Um, the the control of the messaging uh through the media we we would defer to our um uh you know pr media colleagues like nicole and then obviously ofm has our own uh public affairs person that um does all that and does the uh, runs the clearance through 
uh, before something is released. Um, for us, where we would play in is that we, uh, a lot of times, um, our colleagues would reach out to us. We feed the information uh, because we happen to be in the ground floor. So, uh, so you know, going back to the 53 migrant death, um, because OFM runs an emergency management program, um, I had reached out to um, HSI team that was leading that investigation um, probably the day after the event had, had occurred. And so we were focused more on, um, you know, making sure that the emergency management, con uh, that the uh, four missions um, had the information to uh, provide consular services to their citizen. Um, and the PR component um, was not in our radar because um, until much later uh, and when Tom reached out to us. So for us, we played in many ways a sideline role. Um, but at the same time, you know, our colleagues, I mean, I, I constantly get inquiries uh, from the Houston Chronicle, from media outlets about, you know, dignitaries or diplomats in my region. And oftentimes I, I punt it to our uh, public affairs uh, officer in OFM and then um, then we feed the information to her, whatever she needs before she runs the clearance and then it gets published out. So in some ways we do and in some ways we don't. Um, and and then in terms of, I wanted to raise some, address something that Tom had raised earlier and that's, this is something uh, not new. Um, so oftentimes, um, you know, when these incidents occur, you know, uh, finding a person who can translate or speak a language, especially those language, you know, Spanish is pretty common. You can find it easily, but, you know, let's say, you know, a language that is not common, it's harder to find and so forth. This is where oftentimes um, uh, reaching out to the closest foreign mission uh, would be helpful for local authorities, uh, local offices, because um, a lot of the consulates, uh, one of their mandate is to make sure that they touch base with their national, foreign national diaspora in whatever locality they, they're located. So oftentimes they are able to provide uh, or connect you to somebody nearby that actually speak that language. It can help facilitate. Uh, so this is something that I, I you know, uh, oftentimes, I, I advise for emergency management and local authorities because, you know, like I say, uh, we're talking about the languages that are not very common, right? Um, I can't think, it's like Japanese or whatever that, you know, oftentimes there are for, uh, pockets of foreign national diaspora that have those people. And oftentimes they will, the closest foreign missions will have a POC or somebody that they know that can, can step in and, and help uh, local authorities. Um, so I hope that answers the question a little bit. Uh, Thank you. And it's good to know that there is that language support that you can offer. So perhaps you could give us um, just a step-by-step -step practical guide. If, if something happens, how would they get in touch with you? So um, we have um, a, a, an OFM Houston. It's OFMHouston at state.gov. Um, you can send um, your inquiry to that email distro. It goes to everybody uh, on my staff. Um, oftentimes, um, if it's something that um, I think it's, it's uh, relevant to Washington, D.C. to know or whatever, I will personally handle it. I will personally respond and make sure it gets the guidance that it needs to make sure that um, our uh, big state leadership knows. Um, but um, 
the best way is just to contact OFMstate.gov. And then we also have um, the other regional offices spread out, uh, five others spread out. And so um, if you guys are spread in that locality, like I say, each one of our office cover different states. And so you're more than welcome if uh, questions come out to send directly to that regional office because they would be probably the one um, with the best contacts with the foreign missions in that, that um, region that they cover. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, now we've got five minutes left, so I'm going to um, go to Nicole and ask you um, for some words of advice. So you've got someone who is in the middle of nowhere, something happens um, that is like the heavens have opened on them. Um, what would be your advice for a, a new or kind of new in the newish in the job PIO who has finally got this um, international job in front of them? What, what steps would or advice could you give them to sort oh, wow. not explode? <laughs> a big question. Um, so I guess the first thing is, is it's so important is that you have a seat at the table and that you are, um, you have established a relationship with the decision makers within your organization uh, and they know they go to you and you know everything that they know. Okay. And you make the decision as to what needs to go out and what doesn't. It's very, very important that you have, as I call it again, a seat at the table. Uh, encourage no surprises from your colleagues too. Uh, as soon as something happens, whatever that channel is, get yourself in it right away, whether it's uh, email messages or verbal communication, however your organization does it. Um, be prepared. Uh, think through, like I, I build out a library of potential things that can happen. Again, you don't always know what's going to come your way, but you can say, okay, a, a protest that involves foreign nationals. Uh, what what happens if someone gets killed who is a, you know, a high profile person? What if there's a large group of people who something happens to? What am I going to do? And I think listening to this has been a really good session, by the way. Um, you know, you can be prepared in advance to some aspect, but also, you know, you are, you got to expect the unexpected and make sure that you are part of that chain. Um, and then you go through some of the steps we've talked about today, some of the resources that are available to you, tactics that might be available. If you need to get out a message internationally, go using the, the wires, using social media, uh, if you need to put out something. And again, those first lines are going to be, we're aware of the situation, you know, our, our hearts are, you know, if it's, it's something that still is with a tragic incident, you know, you, you express your, your sympathy, obviously, uh, that's, that's something that you would always do, right? So you got your couple lines that you have to have ready to go, uh, pretty much for a lot, a lot of different scenarios. So again, you know, use those wires, use your social media, don't go out and say anything until back straight. Uh, you, you know, you always have what we call the whole lines, your whole lines, so that's going to be expression of uh, sympathy if it's a, an incident that's a tragedy uh, and saying we're aware of the situation, we're on top of it, we're coordinating with our partners. Those types of things you can go right out of the box with. Have those ready. Have those in your back pocket so that you can deploy them immediately. Then you gather your facts and then you start coordinating with your partners that you need to, whether it be, you know, if you're local police, you're coordinating with state police, you're coordinating with OFM, you're coordinating back here at the State Department. We're then coordinating over with the White House because the president needs to say something. Um, you know, those are all sort of, again, have those hold lines ready, gather yourself, get the information and make plans. Thank you, Nicole. Chris, 
I'd love to work with you if you get any jobs going. Um, it makes, really makes me miss it. Oh, I said never again, but there we go. Um, Tom, we've got a couple of minutes left. How about you? What would be your words of advice from your position, um, which I'm sure many um, who have attended are familiar with? Um, what would you say to everyone? So it just dawned on me that we focused a lot on disasters or things that happen suddenly and when you're suddenly in, in this situation. Uh, and I think that's very valid because they're they're just harder to tackle because you need to think on the fly and you need to react to it as it's happening. However, there is also the situation where this can be a slow-moving situation that, uh, for example, uh, you get approached by a foreign media outlet who are just interested in something that's going on in your area. And then you may not necessarily know. I mean, Daily Mail is maybe not such a good example because most people are very familiar with it. Uh, but let's say a, a German outlet contacts you that is called Build, and you wouldn't know. So you just go with it, and all of a sudden you find yourself in the top headlines of that nation with a god-awful headline. Well, you have no idea. I never gave that kind of information. Why would they write like that? Um, so I think that is important, and that's where you want to uh, just use your network. Um, especially, I mean, it's great. We now have something like PIO Toolkit and the community on there. Reach out on, on uh, in a forum like that. Ask, has, does anybody know anything about these people? Um, and uh, then have, have all of us basically pitch in. Uh, otherwise, you'll use your local network. There may be people from that country that know um, we're among your, among your coworkers. So, I think it's just important to remember the uh, one of the top priorities in, in our job, and that is uh, besides being a spokesperson or handling communications, it's not just the outward, but also being a relationship manager. Uh, and that is so, so important in this particular field, more so probably uh, than in the in the national field. Uh, when you when you handle these outlets and you can establish a connection with them, uh, then, then you have a way to make sure that really the right information is going out, and also if something goes sideways, that you can have a correction be be put out as it's uh, as it appears. Absolutely, um, relationships it's absolutely key, absolutely key. Stakeholders, multi agency working, being prepared. Um, I'd like to add to that media literacy, um, being aware of outlets not just on your doorstep but nationally and, and internationally. Now we are at time. But I just have to make one point and ask Tom to talk about his book very briefly. He is actually publishing his own book. So I have to thank him for having me here in the studio. But um, also give us 30 seconds on your book, please. <laughs> okay. Thank you. So uh, it's not out yet. Uh, October. Um, we're totally shooting for October. It's um, a book. It's a memoir about um, my time in law enforcement here in the U.S. Uh, I gave the perspective of the European immigrant, the German immigrant that came to the United States, worked as a deputy sheriff in Arizona for, for 10 years, and uh, just give give folks an opportunity to see what that was like, uh, give them a firsthand impression, and uh, maybe uh, put a smile on someone's face because there is some some interesting things that happened, obviously, uh, especially with the glasses on it as an as an immigrant, which I figure is is quite quite different than from anybody else. Yes, I, I, I mean, can't imagine what you mean. <laughs> it is called the deputy while immigrant, so Brilliant. it works well, well with D DWI, but it, you know. Perfect. Well, I'm going to say uh, we'll, we'll make sure that everyone knows about it when it's out. Um, I would like to thank Catherine 
uh, Nicole and Tom uh, for taking part in this fascinating discussion. I know you're all very, very busy. So I know um, there's a lot of really, really helpful information there. So we really appreciate it. Thanks to everyone who has um, taken the time out to spend uh, this hour with us. I always appreciate your support PIO toolkit. Um, and I, any questions you have in the future, please just drop me a line, join the community. There's resources there for you. These people are here to help you. Um, we want you to thrive and not just survive in your job. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, until next month, um, have a great time and stay safe. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.